Hey, good morning, everyone. Great to be with you. I am the classic. If you're new here, I always felt like when I went to a new church for the first time, there was always a guest speaker. So if you're new here and you don't like what I said, please come back next week. Okay. Listen to Aaron. Listen to Tony as they come in. Uh, With that in mind, hey, if you have your Bibles, let's turn to the book of John. As Aaron said, let me just give a quick introduction. My name is Brandon Solis. Uh, I am great friends with Mr. Tony Trebek and Jeannie. Uh, We love those two. So uh, before Tony came here, Tony was a pastor in Washington with us at our church that we uh, attend in the Seattle area. Uh, And so for four years, uh, Tony played such a huge role in my own life. And I would just say, if you're part of the community here, you are so blessed to have the leadership of Tony and Jeannie in your life. Uh, Few men have left kind of like their fingerprints on my life uh, with Jesus kind of stamped on them more than Tony. Like more men, there's not many more men who like I look at, I'm like, I want to follow Jesus like that man. Tony is one of those few for me, and so uh, you are very blessed. So uh, we have this little deal. When they go out of town, they welcome us to stay at their house, free rent. (laughs) Last year, and then in the most beautiful place in the world, I believe, and just, we've just fallen in love. So we did this last year, and then Tony says, you know, if you want to, on your way out, you could teach at my church. And I feel a little obligated because he's already giving us free rent, so I'm like, okay, let's do this. So I'm back. Last year I was here, you guys were still in the book of John. So John 5 last year, my church, we spent like three years in the book of Matthew, so it's not too scary for us. So it's, it could be worse, everyone. Uh, with that in mind... You guys are already hopefully there. I'm here with my beautiful wife, by the way. She's, somewhere, she's right here, and we have our three kids with us. And um, so uh, we've enjoyed, we've fallen in love with your town. Uh, we love it. It's like the highlight of our year, so thank you for having us. And with that in mind, let's go into the book of John. We continue in. You guys are continuing on in the book of John. I get welcomed in. John 15, and maybe just a little context for us today. For those of you who are new, the book of John, the story of Jesus, our Savior, his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, all through it. We hit the book of John, and the book of John is kind of separated into two spots. Tony said this last week, and I appreciated it. Helps with context. Chapters 1 through 12 of the book of John, all Jesus' life and ministry, miracles, teachings, all those things. And, but when you get to like chapter 13, things come to a little bit of a halt. And a halt in the sense of the miracles stop, in a sense, and Jesus gets extremely close. Disciples, he's going to leave closest with him. You know, this sense, Jesus begins to announce to his disciples, he's going to leave soon. He's going to die. He's going to leave earth. And he's going to go be with the Father. And it freaks his disciples out like crazy. And so starting in chapter 13, Jesus does what he thinks is smartest. And that is that he's going to do what he thinks is most important before he dies. What would you do before you died, by the way? If you knew you were going to die in a few days, what would you do? Jesus ends up washing his disciples' feet taking communion, and he begins to impart to them some of the most important words all of scriptures have for us in this. And so these are beautiful moments for us. Chapter 13 through 17 is kind of like the upper room discourse is what we call it. It's Jesus's final words to his closest friends that he wants never to forget. We land on chapter 15. You guys are in this kind of mini-series on abiding. And Tony last week, you guys, Tony got the good verses Chapter 15 is probably the first, like, 15 verses are kind of like the most beautiful verses, I think, in all the New Testament. Jesus is going to lay out to his disciples. He says, I'm leaving soon, but I want you to know this. You have to remember one thing. Will you abide in me? 
When I leave, I'm going to leave, but you and I, this intimate, close relationship, it doesn't have to stop. And just like a branch is connected to the vine, so I also am the reality. He's going to say, you can do nothing apart from me. And Jesus is going to outline this beautiful reality. He's going to teach us at the beginning of verse 15 what it means to be in relationship with him. And it's beautiful. And then as he heads out of that moment, he'll end those verses by saying, now go love your neighbor just as you love the Father. Love God, love your neighbor. So he shows us how to be in relationship with him. Then he shows us how to be in relationship with one another. And it's all warm, hug, fuzzy, goodness, love, and awesome stuff. And then he gets to verse 16, which is what I get today. And he goes, it's like, love your neighbor. And then verse 16, verse 16 says this, the world's going to hate you. <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, holy smokes, Tony, this is the one you gave me. To speak to this congregation, I wanted the good stuff, but I get the hatred stuff. That's what we're talking about today. What do you do when the world hates you for your faith in Jesus? And, you know, I was kind of dragging my feet over the last few weeks thinking about, man, this is not what I wanted to teach to these people who don't know me. But then, look on your screens. As I kept on reading through the story, after chapter 15 ends, chapter 16, verse 1 says this. It says this. I have said, Jesus says, I have said all these things to you. So everything that we're going to read today. He says, I've said all these things to you so that you do not fall away. And I thought to myself, sermon, it's not a sat window into what Jesus is saying here. This isn't a sad sermon. It's not a sad topic. It's a hard topic. But in reality, I love it. I get to be a part of teaching what Jesus wants to say to all of you who maybe, just maybe, through the difficulties of life, Jesus would say to us through his word, oh, I want to encourage you. I want you to be able to look back someday in the midst of your struggles and trials and persecution to look back at this moment of Jesus' words and say, I can grow in endurance for living for Jesus by these words. And for me, I'm like, that's money. Let's go. I want to encourage you guys today with Jesus' word. That's his framework. Endurance and encouragement through the moments where the world looks at us as followers of Jesus and says, what are you doing, you fools? Jesus is going to talk about that. So with that in mind, I want you to pay attention, have open ears. I'm going to highlight three things today. Through Jesus' words, I'll split it up into three parts, and I want you to keep an eye out. In each one of these parts, there is a temptation that we face when the world has hostility or hatred towards the followers of Jesus and towards Jesus himself. Three temptations, but I also believe three encouragements that we can remember to strengthen our faith in the midst of this. So let's read the entire verse uh, section with us. It's John 15, 18 through 25. It says this, for it hated you. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the world that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. Verse 22. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me, Jesus says, hates my father also. 
If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of the sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. Let's pray together before we enter into the teaching. Father, in the name of Jesus, Father, we thank you for your word, the way it encourages us, it sustains us, it gives us endurance. It is the lamp unto our feet. Father, we admit today that it's not the most fun of topics, but it is very necessary for us in our lives. Nothing wrong. Your son Jesus was persecuted. He was brought low, though he did nothing wrong. And today we stand as followers of him who know that people still feel that way towards him. And we bear that in some ways. Father, help us see these words. I ask that you would bless those in this room with encouragement with endurance and strength of the gospel in believing that what we bear in our burdens is worth the glory and the life that we receive from you as followers of you. Father, thank you for welcoming us into your kingdom and loving us well in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Let's look here at verse 18 as we start here today. Jesus just got done talking about great relationship with himself, great relationship with neighbors, and then he starts here, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Just clear context here today. We understand that really easily. Jesus just says very clearly, people don't like me. They don't like me. They don't like the things I say. They don't like the things that I'm doing. Many people in the world, mm, they have hostility towards my way of life. And we'll talk about why that is as we go forward, but may we remember here today that as Jesus, in this moment, he's, he's just days away from his death. In all of his innocence, in all of his sense of doing nothing wrong, his blameless ways, they still sent him to the cross. They called him a liar. They accused him of things he did not do, sent him to the cross. So he looked through church history, and then we're going to see later on as you walk through the book of Acts, as you walk through the epistles, even if you look through church history, Many disciples of Jesus, as they preach on the goodness of Jesus, will encounter the same persecution. Hostility exists towards Jesus. So we go through and we look now look at today. So that's his context. He says bad stuff's happening. It's going to happen. But today, the question comes, is there hostility today towards Jesus? And the answer is, oh, yeah. And let's just, like, divide really quickly, like, even what we see in the Western world, it, to be hostility and what we see to be in the world as hostility. Did you know that today, if we were to leave our minds in the Western world and look across the world, many researchers, many professionals believe that still 21st century earth is actually the partakers of the worst persecution as far as numbers go when it comes to the Christian faith. Did you know that? The worst that we've been into, if you were to look into the world, like from India to the east to the Middle East to North Africa to North Korea, some of the most ugly things are happening to believers all over the world. Churches are closed and burned down. Martyrs are made. Christians are put into prison for what they do in professing faith, speaking about the name of Jesus. Hostility is alive today towards Jesus. Super real. But what about us today? Now, Western world, America, Pacific Grove, 2019. Serious way, been on. Answer is, yeah, it is real. If you follow Jesus in a serious way, been honest about your actions, your love, your affections towards Jesus, you understand that today you've been maybe ridiculed, you've been hated, you've been reviled, you've been spoken against. Maybe you've been bypassed 
for a job opportunity because of your faith. Maybe you don't know it, but those senses where as you are outspoken about the name of Jesus, you sense people look at you and say, why would you follow him? And how dare you try to tell me how to live? I want to make very clear here today as we move into this, hostility is alive and well in the world towards the name of Jesus. I want to just walk this line with you. Uh, Here in America, we are blessed that we have freedom of religion, and that really hostility looks like ridicule. It looks like hatred. It looks like losing people's approval, when in other parts of the world, it is much more than that. So I want to walk this line. We are both blessed, but I also want to be honest, holy smokes, it is still very real. And for some of us, it cripples us in our faith as well. Have you felt that before? We'll talk about that here today. Look at verse 19. We'll go into the first temptation. And I think the first encouragement Jesus gives us here today, as he says this in verse 19, if you were of the world, speaking to his disciples, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you, do not like Jesus or the world hates you. We get a glimpse into the reasoning behind why people do not like Jesus. And Jesus builds this dichotomy in us. He says very clearly, the people who hate me are of the world, or the world hates you. Now, I want to be very clear in this context. There's two ways that Jesus uses the word world as he speaks. One is just geographically. All of the world, as he's talking about everyone in the world. Here, he's not talking about just all of the world. He's actually characterizing those who are hostile to his ways. And he's trying to say this, that they are of the world. And he's drawing this dichotomy. Maybe you've heard this through the New Testament. Jesus says it a little bit. Paul will pick it up in his epistles. He will give a dichotomy between different ways of life. There's only two. He characterizes two two types of people. You are either of the kingdom of God, Paul in Colossians will say, you are of heaven. Keep your eyes locked on heaven. And by heaven and the kingdom, he means this, the ways of Jesus, your affections, your allegiance. If you follow heaven, if you are of the kingdom of God, your allegiance, your worship, your heart, your mind, everything about you aims to follow your creator, God. He's everything to you. You might stumble along the way a lot, but at the end of the day, you want to follow him. You love him. You're of the kingdom. Your life has been surrendered that way. Means He will say that. The other group of people, Paul will say this in Ephesians. You'll see it up on your screens. He will say that there are people who are of the world. And he's characterizing it that that's the antithesis of everything that is the kingdom. Everything that's of the So instead of worshiping and honoring the creator, people who are of the world worship themselves. They honor idols. They they worship the created. Their allegiance, their frame of mind, everything about their lives is wrapped up in something other than the God of their salvation. And so when Jesus is saying this, the world will hate you, he's saying very clearly, there are those who hate you have a different allegiance to something else other than me. That's what he's saying here. And this brings us really actually to where I wanted to get the why behind the hostility. And it starts here. Almost all hostility has to do with people who are not like us. All across the world, political, race, sex, all these things, hostility exists because people are different than us, and it's no different when it comes to the way of Jesus. Jesus is saying, those who love the world do not like me because I do not lift up the world. I lift up the Father. And I've come to show about sin and rebellion and to save them 
But they don't want to hear that they are of the world. Here's my first temptation for us as we look at this. And I think he's saying, maybe the desire for the world's approval. Have you ever felt this before? Maybe you are challenged to live out your faith. Maybe you are challenged to speak out your faith. But somewhere, somewhere, you have encountered that when you've been honest about your faith, when you've decided to live morally upright for Jesus, someone has looked at you and said, why are you doing that? Don't say that. Don't tell me how to live. Don't do those things. And in those moments, have you ever felt this moment where you begin to wrestle with yourself? This is hard to follow Jesus. I'm just being honest about this love that I've encountered that I want to spread and I want to live out. And then someone comes to me and just says, don't do that. And they stop liking you because of it. And have you ever wrestled with the desire to be loved by them? You ever felt that wrestle between being loved, following Jesus? I think this is what he's getting at when he says, you know, the world would love you if you were like the world. The world would love you if you were like the world. And I love this. I love this part because I think in the midst of struggling with people's approval, what is Jesus saying to us to say back to ourselves? I think it's this encouragement. Look at this. I love this phrase he uses. I think Jesus' encouragement to us is to remember your identity in Jesus. And that is including this reality. You are not. Your allegiance, those of the world, though, are you? You're not. You've switched your allegiance. Those people, he's trying to say this, those who are persecuting you, their allegiance, their hearts, their affections are not towards the things that you like and that you worship anymore. The things that you hold your life as a standard to, those who hate you, they do not live to that standard. You are not like them. There's different. You ever look back at your past and realize that you were listening to someone that now when you have perspective looking back at that person's wisdom, you're like, you know who they are, and you've watched them live their lives poorly, and you're like, why did I listen to them? You ever had those? Like, I look back at my high school years at some of the friends I followed. I'm like, why was I living like that? Why did I listen to them? Jesus wants us to see this when he says, you are not of this world. He says this. I think he's trying to tell us this. When you wrestle with someone's approval, when you wrestle with whether to follow Jesus or want to be loved by the world, would you wrestle with this? I think he's telling us to stop, pause, and ask God. Put a scale out in front of you and say, whose opinion matters the most? What is most worthy in this moment? Is it the ways of the world, of man and rebellion, or is it the fact that the creator God stands over you? He has created all things. He sustains you. He loves you. His ways are perfect and righteous. He saved you from the world. Which way do you want to go? And Jesus would say, I think this to us, I saved you from the world, so why are you wanting their approval anymore? I saved you from those ways. Why do you count their approval as so important? And Jesus says this, you're not of the world anymore. You're not of the world. So in those moments, as we look at this first thing, we're going to see this. Jesus makes clear your identity. You're not of this world. You're not of this world. You live by new standards and new ways of life. We're going to deal here first. Jesus says, let's deal with your allegiance. Where's your allegiance? And as we head into this next verse, he's going to deal now with who is with us in the midst of persecution. Let's look at verse 20 as he continues on. He says this, Will you remember the word that I said to you? 
A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. Uh, As we go through John 15, I've said this a little bit, but just to reiterate, all of John 15 is like Jesus sharing his resource with us. The beginning, abide with me, my relationship, your relationship. My relationship with the Father is your relationship with the Father. Abide in me. And then he, he goes into the neighbor thing. Now your mission. This is saying, not only is my relationship your relationship, my mission is now your mission. Go. Tony last week talked about how we were made in the image of God and we were created to live out God's mission, right? So he says, live in my mission. And then he says, <laughs> you're going to share with everything. So if you're going to share everything, that's the good stuff. Now share with me this. Remember, they persecuted me first. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. You know, like we, some of you who are married in this room, you, you, in your vows, maybe you said something to the, to the, to the degree of like, um, through sickness and health, I am with you. Through good and through bad. How many know when you got married, you get all the good stuff that your partner brings to the relationship and they get your good stuff, but they also get your bad stuff, right? The hard stuff. And in our minds, we have to remember here at this moment, you didn't sign up to get married just for the good stuff, right? You signed up, and when you made covenant with that person, you didn't make the vow that said, I will be as faithful as possible through the good stuff, but when the bad stuff is going on, I will walk away and come back when the good stuff starts again, you know? We knew that heading into it, hopefully, okay? And the sense here is why? Why? Why do we sign up for that kind of scary kind of covenant? Because the good always outweighs the bad. I'll take abiding with Christ, living that out to the other. I will take loving and showing compassion to my neighbors and living that out to the utmost degree, even if it means going through a hard season of persecution. Those things are all worth the tough things. And so in union in Christ, we share. And Jesus is basically saying this. If they persecuted me, remember. They will persecute you. As we head into this, we remember this next temptation that we'll draw into this moment. The temptation of this. Hostility toward our faith can often feel like failure in my faith. You know, like in your marriage, when the bad stuff starts happening, you're like, what am I doing wrong? What is going on? You, change. I'll stay like I am. And then something happens. They say, you need to change. This is hard. we got to change. And in that sense, we can often, this is like such a cultural moment for us. When things get hard, we want to quit, don't we? When things go a little bit awry, when things kind of don't go our way, when something hurts a little bit, we run from the hurt. And I love what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is saying this. I think he's kind of like normalizing persecution for us. Who was Jesus? Did he mess up in his mission? Was he rude? Did he bring anything bad to the table for people? Absolutely not. And this is kind of scary, but when's the moment where you realize that Jesus says, hey, I was persecuted, everyone exactly perfectly, I loved perfectly, I had compassion perfectly, I judged perfectly, and I treated everyone exactly how they were supposed to be judged. And he looks and he says, and still they hated me. And in this moment, what I sense in this moment is Jesus is saying, it's normal. Persecution is normal. You know, I just took over as lead pastor at our church in October, and it's been terrifying. 
every day I am brought, like, my inadequacy is brought to the front of my face. Every day I'm like, don't know what I'm doing half the time, and I'm like, I'm just going to do this. Then something hard hits me, and because I'm so new to the moment, I often think to myself, am I doing this wrong? And that's what I hear in the back of my heart and my mind, Brandon, you're doing this wrong. If you were really doing it right, this would be so easy. You're such a mess up. And we can feel that way when we sense hostility in our lives from people who are looking in. Am I doing this right? Am I following Jesus right? You know, people I thought would love me if I was doing it right. You know what the most greatest blessing to my ministry and my new position has been? It's been one that has been not expected. It's been my relationship with the old lead pastor whose spot I took. Why? Because when I meet with him, there's only one person in the world who knows struggle and the anger going through. There's only one person who knows the hatred and the struggle and the anxiety and the opinions of people in the unique way that people at my church or we feel in that position. And I look at him, and I'm telling you guys, I cried, I've cried more with my old lead pastor than like I did in five years as him as my pastor. And he just listens to me. You know what he says to me that's so powerful in the moment? I tell him, I did this, and I did this. Come on, just give me the fix for my life. Tell me what to do. And he looks at me, and he just chuckles. <laughs> I go, why are you laughing? I'm crying. You're laughing. He says, Brandon, this is normal. Brandon, I've got 30 years of ministry under my life. I did the exact same things as you're doing. I thought, I, 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 I did them exactly how you were. I taught you how to do those things. But will you know this? Ministry and life is messy. You can't control how people respond to you. You can't control what happens in every situation. And, and one of the most healing things for me is for him to say, that's normal for you to feel that weight on your life. It's been the most comforting thing because I know he knows what I'm talking about. Enter Jesus in this moment. He's looking at his disciples and he's saying, disciples, I know exactly what you will go through. I will bear the weight of all of the sin of the world. And I want to tell you something. It's because of me, not because of you. You today, I will always be with you. Don't miss that moment. I would just encourage you today. If you sense that moment where you're thinking, man, is my faith just poor? Is it just lacking in every category? People just keep pressing me and people keep being hostile to me when I try to love them and care for them. And I would encourage you today, Jesus says to you today, I am with you. I know where you're at. Nothing better than a friend who knows exactly what you're going through puts their arm around you and says, I know how you feel. Keep going. What you're feeling is normal. Keep going. So I would encourage you this. When you feel those moments, get alone with Jesus. Welcome him into the moment. Be honest with him. Tell him it hurts. Tell him that you hate it. Tell him that, that, that you want out, if that's what you want, because you probably do, and he'll take it, and he'll say to you, I know, but I'm doing something here. And I'd also say, surround yourselves and be honest about these moments with other brothers and sisters in Christ. They're feeling it too. No sin has tempted you except what is common to man. Surround yourself when you feel the temptation that you're just a mess up. Surround yourself with people that you love and who love Jesus and talk through it. He is there. Talked about Jesus aligning our allegiance. You are not of this world. We've talked about Jesus being with you. If the world hates a huge part of us, so he's with you, okay? 
And the last one as we go in here, it's kind of a huge part of our verses. Verse 22, it says this. Listen to this one. If I had not come and spoken to them, he'll say to the disciples, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the world that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. I want to skip over a few things here. Unique pieces to this. Uh, he speaks a lot about the father. So, so if they denied me, they denied their father. Remember in the context, for us today as 21st century Christians, we get it. Jesus, the father, the Holy Spirit, all are God, uniquely one, same essence, all are fully God. Back then, Jesus was declaring himself God in the midst of a monotheistic religion. <laughs> he says, me and the Father, we're one. And, the, and Israel was saying, we only know one God. You don't get to call yourself God. And Jesus is flipping the whole thing upside down. And so he makes very clear here, if you hate me, you hate the Father. We're one. So that's unique to this context, not so much for us today. Another thing we see here that's interesting is he says, the law must be fulfilled through them hating me. And he says this, it's fulfilled this way. They hated me with I will say that the Psalms will speak. The Messianic Psalms proclaiming the good news of the coming Messiah will say that the Messiah will be lifted up and that people will despise him without cause. And Jesus is just saying here, don't worry. The things that are happening to me, they are prophesied about. This is part of me being Messiah. God has always known that I would be hated for doing nothing wrong. And he moves on. But the most important part, I think, of this space is the beginning, verse 22, where it says this, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty. This is interesting phrasing here. Now, is Jesus saying if he wouldn't have come, no one would be guilty of sin? No, that's not what he's saying. Jesus is making very specific here. He's saying specifically the fullness and manifestation of God came to earth, acted out miracles, lived and died, stood before humanity, and still with this unique opportunity, they denied him. They are guilty of a sin that is unique in rejecting the manifestation of God right in front of them. Now, as we look at this, as we go through this, what Jesus is saying here, he's saying very clearly of what his ministry has been all about, and it's this. Every miracle, every teaching, everything he's done to live, it has revealed people's sin. He's lived in such a way that every method God and God alone of him has shown that there is redemption, that there is salvation, that trusting in God and God alone is the answer to the world's sickness. And he says, everything I do has convicted people of sin. Now, the gospel is unique, two-sided gospel. You can't have the gospel without these two unique dynamics. The gospel is unique in this way, that it's glorious and beautiful, right? Jesus says, I've come to save you from your sin. I'm going to die for you. I'm going to give you my righteousness. I'm going to give you everything about me so that you can have life and life abundantly. I love you forever, no matter what. I'll die for you. Glorious side of the gospel, right? What's the other side of the gospel? How do you get to that point? You get to that point, Jesus says, by admitting that you need a savior that you need saving. And this is like both the most beautiful and terrifying part. In order to love Jesus and to follow Jesus, you must confess my ways, my life, have been going the complete opposite way of God. That's sin. That's rebellion. 
And Jesus is saying very clearly, you can't have the glory of salvation without the awareness that you are sick and in need of a savior, a spiritual physician to take care of your soul. You must admit, I missed the mark. Here's the bad part. It hurts that they've missed the mark with their life. It hurts. This is why people killed Jesus. Jesus looked constantly at the most religious people and said, what you're doing and what is showing on the inside of your hearts, you're missing the mark. He'll say things to the Pharisees like, your actions, you know what? The Father in heaven is not your father. Your father is Satan by the way you're acting. It's the way of the world. Jesus made very clear that as he lived his life, his mission was to reveal sin and also be the atonement for that sin, both terrifying and glorious at the same time. And this is actually the message of our lives, right, as the mission of Jesus. As we stand as people who were made to declare the gospel to all, the gospel's got to include the sense that we will live in such a way that will graciously, humbly say to our friends, our family, our coworkers, the way I live, I believe, is the way of God and the way you live is the way I used to live and I still struggle with. It's the way of darkness. It's those moments that we are most terrified to be honest about our faith and what Jesus is talking about when it comes to hatred of the world. Well, end like this in the sense of saying this, but will you see this? Here's the temptation that I want to end with today. It is this. The hostility I encounter is meaningless. Deserve, and they come faithful to the gospel. Have you ever been honest and loved someone beyond how they can be loved or what they deserve? And they come back to you and they spatter you with ugly, ugly hostility. And you go back and if you're like me in those moments, I'm just like, what am I doing? What is the point of this? I don't want to be here. God, are you just doing this so that like, we get tortured all the time? Is that, is that our idea of fun in the kingdom? Just to be tortured, be hated by people. And it's in that moment that I think God looks at this moment and says, no, it's not it at all. He wants us to know this, and it's our takeaway today. Or it's our encouragement today. Hostility creates opportunities for the gospel to spread. You know, Jesus sat on the cross, and he questioned the meaning of his suffering too. Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? Remember that. He's in so much pain. He's encountering so much ugliness that he literally asks God, why am I here and why are we doing this? And it's in that moment where we have to look back and would, if Jesus were to ask us, is the cross meaningless, what would you say back to him? Absolutely not. As terrifying as it was, it revealed the beauty of the Father to give his life away, the gospel beauty of redemption, reconciliation, and freedom stands at the cross. And Jesus lost sight of that. And so also I would say to you today, opportunity, the hostility that we encounter from the world is not meaningless, but is an opportunity to share the gospel with the world. I'm going to tell you a story that I'll end with, and I, can, I guess we'll welcome the, the worship team back up here as I end with this story. Think about this. Um, just last week, uh, one of our congregants came to me, and he said to me, he stepped in my office, he's crying. I go, what's wrong? And he says to me, I have been at my workplace for the last 10 years. I have l tried to love everyone in my workplace so beautifully. I have invited them over. I've presented Jesus to them very gently, not like forcing it on them. I've just tried to love them. And everywhere I go, they hate me. 
my boss is an atheist. She wants nothing to do with me. I feel like she singles me out. She has hostility towards me. And I've been pondering for years, why am I in this job? Is this just to cause me to suffer Jesus? I said, man, I'm sorry. And he said, you know, she pulled me into her office the other day. And I walked in, and she was weeping. She was crying. And I said, what's going on? And she said, I just found out that my little brother was given a diagnosis of terminal cancer, that we don't even have a month for him to live. My friend says, oh, my gosh, I am so sorry. And she says, for some reason, in the midst of all of this, this is, make, is important about life after death. It's making me think about what really is important in life. And for some reason, I don't know why, but you're the only Christian that has ever tolerated me for more than a month. You've been with me for, through 10 years. You probably had every reason to quit because I haven't liked you and your faith very much. But he looked at me and he said, Ryan, I feel like you're the only person and I want to know about Jesus. This whole moment, will you, and he, she, she said to him, will you come with me to the hospital and talk to us about Jesus? Just like, and he's like, in that moment, everything, all of the 10 years of hostility, all of the 10 years of being persecuted, of anger and hatred coming over, coming towards him, all made sense now. And he felt like God was saying, this is why. And he felt like God was saying to him, do not forget that even I use the hostile ugliness of the world of persecution to spread the gospel that I love and that I save people with. Pray for my friend this week. He's going to be at the hospital talking about the beauty of Jesus to these two people. But you know what it took? It took years of being faithful and not quitting in the midst of people hating him. Not meaningless gospel opportunities are in front of you in the midst of your persecution. It's not meaningless. Every time someone tries to slander you, every time someone tries to hate you, there is an opportunity for you to love them with a love that they've never encountered. And who knows, just maybe God would save them through your story. I want you to leave with this huge last takeaway. If you were going to take one clear thing away that I think God is saying through this piece, it's this. As painful as the world's hatred feels, the Lord is using it all to strengthen and increase his kingdom. He uses even the worst of the worst moments for his purposes to spread and strengthen you and his kingdom. That's what he's doing. I just want to end today as we go into worship. I just want to pray for you. Some of you I want to pray for specifically, you're saying, I've given in to the temptation. I've quieted my mouth. I've taken steps back out of boldness and into fear more than I have boldness. And I want to say to you, I think God is just saying to you, oh man, I love you. I know what it feels like. I know what it feels like and I love you. But would you see that I'm after strengthening your heart in this? It's not just torture. It's not just meaningless. I'm doing something in the midst of that hatred, and I know what it feels like, and I love you. Come closer to me, and let me help you with your boldness, with you destroying that fear. And then the second group would be those of you, maybe you've stayed bold. You're tired of it too, but you're tired, and you're beat up, and you're tired of it too. You've got friends and family who don't speak to you anymore. You've got coworkers who go the opposite way, and you just, you're tired of it. And Jesus wants you to know it's not for nothing. 
And I think today he wants to encourage you and give you endurance today to love you well, to remind you that what is going on in your life has a purpose. He's using it for good. He loves you. So with that in mind, can I just pray for you as we go into worship? Father, in the name of Jesus, Father, I thank you, Lord, that nothing goes unseen from your eyes. Every moment of our life, every, every just hateful word, every moment of persecution, every bit of enmity, every bit of slander, everything that people have said about us as followers of Jesus, you see and you notice, you love, you love us. And I ask that today, as we end today, that you would encourage us with endurance to see you at the forefront of it as the author and perfecter of faith, as the leader and king whose ways are perfect. And would you give us today a strength that would never be weakened to love the world no matter what they say about us, to love and to not respond with, to love those, respond with mercy, grace and compassion, steadfastness, to love those who hate us because you did, Jesus, and it revealed the heart of the Father to the world. Father, we love you. Lead us as we worship today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you.